I'll have a seat as I get to the second half of the announcements. Good afternoon, St. Paul's. Awesome. It's so good to be back with you guys. Uh, Melissa, my, on behalf of Melissa and, and the kids, and I speak for myself, we miss you guys terribly, and we miss coming to St. Paul's, and it's so good to be back here. We love you guys so, so much. Um, so I was pretty happy when Ryan called, and he's like, hey, can you preach? I'm going out of town, and, you know, would love an opportunity. I'd love to have you come in and, and finish up this series on Colossians, and I said, absolutely, I can do this. Uh, and we're blessed with Nate's presence today, so it's a glorious thing. So, anyway, so it's, uh, <laughs> I'm jealous of the outfit, man. I want to be dressed like that right now. So, anyways, um, we're going to be in Colossians 4, so I'm really excited about this. This is some great stuff. Um, and we're going to be finishing up Pastor Ryan's series on Colossians. So, take out your Bibles, take out your phones and something you can highlight on. Uh, take out your pens, your highlighters, notebooks. I don't really care what you use. Spray paint, it's fine. Um, there's a guy who cleans every week and he's happy to clean up after you, so go for it. I really don't care. Um, anyway, so Caleb, we're going to get right into it though. If you could just put the verses up on the screen. And what I'd like to do is, is uh, no, not yet. Um, not yet. Not yet. Just the verses. Just the verses. Okay. Um, I'm going to start this off, and what I'd like is I'd like y'all to read this. Um, it's Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. But I'll just start it off, and I'm going to want you guys... I'm going... The expectation here is that I'll say the first couple words, and then you guys just read it out loud. Can we do that? Okay, I'm really not confident right now that this is going to work. All right, can we do that? Okay. Continue steadfastly in prayer. job. That's, it's always confusing when a whole bunch of people are reading it, but you get a great job. And the reason I wanted you to do that, I know if, if we're holding a Bible in our hands, we probably hold a different version of the Bible in your hands. So sometimes as we read through the text, what I might be saying and what you're reading might be two different things. So, so starting off this way puts us all on the same page, uh, puts us all in, in, of the same heart, puts all of the same mind, it puts the same words um, in our heads. So I wanted to do that because we're in this together. Um, And that's something that we have to keep in the front of our minds, that this is a community thing. Because over the past seven weeks, Pastor Ryan, as he he went through Colossians, as individuals, you all were taught on, you know, how to put on the Christian character uh, with one another. And how to live in Christian relationships with each other. Uh, But today is about how the Christian community lives in relationship with the world at large. It's in, in a role within it. So it's about how we do this together. Because if we've been paying attention, or if you guys have been paying attention as Ryan's gone through Colossians, you already know how to live like Christians in your churches and in your homes. Right? So you guys are all doing that, right? Completely and totally, no problems. Okay, so, but you know how to do it. Because that's what the, the, the Colossians is about up to this point. It's how to live like a Christian in, in your church and in your home. But this is, about, this, is, this is about how, you know, you live like a Christian in the great outdoors, so to speak. Because now that we have our houses in order, it's time to walk out the door. And we take all of these things that have been, have been taught in this book, specifically Colossians overall, the Bible, but we take all of these things that have been taught in this book and, and we pour these blessings out on everybody we meet. 
And as an aside, and as I was thinking about that and considering that, I had this overwhelming thought, you know, it's like God doesn't play favorites. And truly thank Him for that. God doesn't play favorites, but we do. All the time. You know, if we think about our lives and our interactions with other people, how often do we withhold blessings from other people? And speaking from my own experience, I do it a lot. So I'm not going to speak for you. I'm just going to talk from my own heart. But how many times have we walked by somebody and not shared with them all that or even some of what God has done in our lives? Whether by our speech or through our character, how often do we withhold those blessings from other people? How often do we play favorites by saying subconsciously or even, sub, or even consciously, well, well, they're just, they're not worth it. We do it all the time. And, and there was a... A video that went around a couple of years ago um, by Penn Gillette, or, or uh, Penn, uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, the illusionist duo. Uh, they're fantastic. They're super funny. They're insanely talented. I love seeing their stuff. But Penn Gillette, he's, he's the big one. Um, he's an atheist. And I don't know if you knew that about him. But he's an atheist, and, and he's, pretty, he's a staunch atheist. But after one of his shows, he, he did this video uh, talking about how something happened after, after one of his shows. And there was this guy who was waiting to meet him at the end of one of his shows. And, you know, as, as, as he's doing his thing and talking to people, this guy's just standing over in the corner. He's holding something. And Penn's like, I don't know what he's holding. But, you know, finally the line thins and he makes his way over to him and he hands him a Bible. And the guy says, you know, I've, been, I've, I've prayed about this and it's really, I'm convicted, I have to give you this Bible. And, you know, I, I know your beliefs, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you about Jesus Christ and, and give you this Bible. And, and Penn was saying, you know, in this video, he's like, I've had so much respect for this guy for doing this. I had absolute respect for this guy for doing this. He's like, now, I haven't read the Bible yet. He's holding it in the video. He's like, I haven't read this yet. He goes, I've actually got a collection of these that people have given me. You know, I haven't read it yet, but I have so much respect for this guy who gave it to me because if you believe in a literal hell and you believe in a literal heaven and the one way to bridge that gap is through a man named Jesus Christ and you don't tell somebody about that, how much do you have to hate them to, pull, to, to not tell them about that? And I don't know if we, we've ever considered it like that, but it's absolutely true. It's how much do you have to hate somebody, if you're a Christian, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? As a Christian, I certainly, I do believe in a literal hell, and I believe in a literal heaven, and I believe the only way to bridge that gap is through Jesus Christ. And if I don't tell somebody about Jesus Christ as that bridge, how much do I have to hate them to, to not share that with them? And it's a way to think about that and consider that that really puts things in perspective. When we don't share Jesus, do we actually love people as we're called to love them? So that's Penn Jillette. That's an atheist talking about church really, really well. So are we talking it or are we living it? Are we keeping it in our sanctuaries or our living rooms or our own heads and our hearts or are we taking it to the streets? And that's the title of today's message. It's taking it to the streets. Now, you might be thinking, how do we do that? And, and I reply to that, Paul tells us how in this verses we can read. Or you might be thinking, Rob, shut up. I like my comfortable Christianity and I don't have to share it with anybody. I don't believe anything you're saying. And to that I reply, no. I'm not going to shut up. But addressing the first question, how do we do this? If you read Colossians 4, 2 through 4, if you could, Caleb, throw those up there. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. All right, this is pretty simple. Like, there's nothing really complicated about this if we think about it, if we consider it, if we let these words into our hearts. It just means that the Christian person should never stop praying. It doesn't mean that you have this one single ongoing prayer that never stops. But we should be always in a state or a posture of prayer. This is much more about the position of our hearts than the motion of our lips. We should always be in an attitude of prayer. We should be watchful, or some other translation listed says we should be staying awake. Which is our mental attitude of expectancy. We should be just sitting there, as as we live our lives praying, we should be expecting God to do something. Because we're called to be alive. That's the life God calls us into when we say yes to Christ. We're called to be alive. We're made to be alive in the fullest sense of what that means. The activity of our soul should be restless while at rest in anticipation of what God is doing next. And whatever comes our way, we're to be thankful to God for whatever it may be. I mean, in in, in this whole idea of this, and we're talking about prayer and thinking about prayer, prayer is probably the easiest thing to let go by the wayside. Because it's so easy to get busy with other stuff. It's, It's easy to just kind of forget to pray sometimes. Or it's easy to just do something and then pray in the process of it. You know, it's like you're 10 miles into a marathon and then you start praying, God, give me the strength to complete this. It doesn't work that way. That's contrary to the lives we're called to live. There's a verse that stuck with me for about eight years. And a few weeks ago, it was interesting, I was actually at at the worship center at at Pastor Mark's church and I was preaching on Pentecost Sunday and I had planned on one sermon on Acts 2 and and I punted that and this came up. But um, this one verse, it's... It stuck with me for eight years, and I first heard this at a conference. And it's from the message version of the Bible, which, whatever, um, that's a great thing to read sometimes. But um, I don't normally subscribe to the message. Um, but this verse, the way it's worded, it hit me right where I live. And, and it's come to define my life as I follow Jesus. And it's become to, to define my family's life as they follow me as I do that. And it's on the screen, but it says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? This describes the Colossians 4 life. The verses we just read, this describes it absolutely. This is the life we're called to live, where it's adventurously expectant. Now, and we're going to get into stuff a little bit, a little bit later on, kind of about things Christians say and whatnot, but it's like this verse, one of the, one of the things I, I can't stand to hear, one of the things that just grinds my gears um, as a Christian is, is hearing another Christian say, I'll pray about it, or I'll pray about that, when you ask them to do something. Who here has heard that? You know, when you call another Christian to help you with something or, or come alongside you in something, they're like, well, I'll, I'll pray about that. All right. That tells me something very clearly about your prayer life. It's either non-existent or you're praying for the wrong things. Because as Christians, we're called to be in this constant state of prayer. And that way, when God comes forward to you with an opportunity, you're so prayed up, keyed up and ready to go, you say, yes, I'm on it. 
You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to dawdle or take your time or wait to get back to somebody. You just run like a hobo jumping on a boxcar. You're running full speed after this thing and you get on it and go. But as a Christian, you hear so much, well, I'll pray about it. No, you should already have been praying about it to the point where whatever's after you right now, if it's from God, you have the ability to say yes and go. How often do we as men delay the plans of God? Because we're not living the life we're called to live. How often do we miss out on the things God has intended for us because we've neglected our prayer life and we're living this this shallow existence as Christians in name, but not in prayer, in heart, in soul, and in deed. So if somebody's come to you and your response has been, "I'll, I'll pray about it. Reflect back on their prayer life to that point and the things you might be praying for to begin with. Because this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? That's the attitude we have. That's the attitude we need to have moving forward. It's like, God, what do you have in store for me? Like, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I'm on board. And when that opportunity comes forward, I'll recognize it because I'm so prayed up to this point, there'll be no doubt that that's what I'm supposed to do. And we live into that. And I think about that verse and I think about my own kids. Sometimes I ask them to do something. It could be something small. Or if you know me, you know sometimes I get a wild hair and I just want to do crazy stuff. And I'll ask my kids, hey, just put on your shoes, we're going. You know, my kids have never said, well, I'll pray about that. They should sometimes, but they've never said it, you know. They just throw on their shoes, they get in the car, and we go. And that's the relationship we're called to have with God the Father. He says, here we go, and we don't hem and haw, we just throw on our shoes and go. Sometimes we run barefoot, and that's fun too. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. All right, so Paul, the great evangelist of his time, the great evangelist of our time too, He's this great prayer warrior. He knew that he also needed prayer to do anything. He needed supporting prayers that he might finish the task laid before him. And that that task is very simple. It's just to share the mystery of Christ. And inasmuch as Satan will try to close doors, the prayers of believers will open them. And an open door was then, as it is now, it's an invitation to do something. Specifically here, it's an invitation to walk through it. And share the mystery of Christ. And that mystery of Christ is just the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. That's the mystery he's called to share. And and that, that mystery is why Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians from prison. If you look at Acts 22, you'll see Israel hated Paul so much that they created this mob scene to put him in prison. Israel hated the fact... That Paul was preaching salvation for the Gentiles. Israel hated the fact that Paul was preaching that that Gentiles be included into the family, be put into the picture, be adopted as co-heirs with Christ. So again, it's Acts 22, if you guys want to read about that. And why, why was Paul in prison? There you go. And I want to point as well, the word us in the beginning of this, pray for us also. He's calling for prayer for all of his fellow laborers in the gospel. 
Not just for him, but for everybody. He's praying for all of his laborers in the gospel then and now. So not only is he praying for the guys with all the weird long names in that day and time, he's praying for Pastor Ryan as he pastors this church. He's calling for prayers for me as a missionary at UConn. He's calling for prayers for Elaine in whatever ministry she's involved in. She's calling for prayers for the board like Patrick and Steve. She's calling for prayers for the worship team like Abby. He's calling for prayers for all of the people then and now. We're included in that, which is an amazing thing. And he's praying that all doors would be opened for us. But we still have to walk through them. And when we walk through them, verse 4, that I make, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. One of Paul's great concerns throughout his ministry was that what he was saying and how he would say it would be clearly understood and received. Now, if if a guy like Paul, who's known for his effective speaking, is praying for the right words to use, how much more so do we need those prayers? Because I will promise you, there's not a single person in this room, probably this state, that's as gifted a speaker as Paul was. How much more do we need the prayers that he's praying? And it's these thought, though, that he's praying, you know, for clarity as, and, and for the right words to be used, the right, the right words to be received. He's praying for these, and these lead to the next two verses um, that we're going to go into. Because when Paul's considering the sharing of Jesus Christ, when Paul's considering the sharing of, of, of the mystery, he's not thinking in church lingo. He's not thinking, like, if I'm praying about how I'm going to share Jesus Christ, I'm not praying in words that we all would use. Because we're weird. We have a weird vernacular. We have weird slang. We use strange words. What Paul is thinking is like, how do I communicate this amazing thing in a way which the people I'm talking to will understand? It's like if you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all written very differently because they're written to four different people groups. To be understood in their own way. It's like on, on campus when I'm dealing with college students or when I'm dealing with youth, I typically go to the Gospel of Mark and people are like, why do you use that? I'm like, because it's all action all the time. And they have really short attention spans. We have to understand the audience we're reaching. We have to understand the audience we're talking to. And that's what Paul is praying here. So summing up verses 2 through 4, it's like, how do we take it to the streets? We pray. And we ask for prayer. Like, have you ever sat down to pray and you're like, I have no idea what to pray for? I've done it. Like, I sit down in a time of prayer and I'm just like, I got nothing. So we just pray simply, Lord, open doors that I might walk through them and proclaim the mystery of Christ. Lord, remove barriers from my life and my heart that are preventing me from sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray that you remove barriers from the hearts and lives of other people, my co-laborers with Christ, that they may share all that you have done in the world and in their life. Amen. Boom. Simple. If you want to make it fancy, you can use bigger words. They get you no points, though. Pray simply. To align yourself with the heart of God and the will of God for your life. And I will promise you, included in that, is sharing the mystery. Whatever it is, just keep it simple. Pray for doors to be open and barriers to be lifted. So that's the how. We pray. And just do it already. It's Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walking in wisdom. Something Paul did often in, in his letters is he'd connect the first to the last or the last to the first, depending on how you process that. In Colossians 1, if you go all the way back, Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul opens his letter saying, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's encouraging us again, connecting that, encouraging us to walk in wisdom, to walk in the wisdom of God towards outsiders. All right, these are non-Christians. These are, these are the unchurched people. See, and, and for us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, we have to get off our couches. We have to leave our houses. We have to leave our sanctuaries. We can't sit back and wait for them to come to us. That's not outreach. That's hope. We're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. We go where they are. We go to the places that they take up. We become a part of their lives. We live and enter in their world, on their turf, doing things they like to do. Because they're not going to come to us. We're to go to them. And making the best use of time. Making the best use uh, is taken from a verb meaning uh, to buy up like a bargain. It's basically making sure this time is well spent. Don't waste a moment. You walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your time. It's not one of the things where we, we, we saddle up to a non-believer and we're just, we saddle up and we're just like... Netflix and chill. <laughs> That's not good use of your time. Younger people understand what I just did there. All right? That's not good use of your time. We saddle up to non-believers, and through our time with them, through our lives, through our shared experience, we get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. If you don't have shoulder time with people, you'll never get face time. Making the best use of our time. Moving in a positive direction. And then before we get to, to, to verse 6, I want to show a quick video. Again, Christians are weird. Caleb, can you fire that up? Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station is The Fish? 104.3 The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. 
There's not enough meat, you know. Are they non to We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're going to have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to Extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to Ignite. The Edge. The Dive. The Bridge. The Ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst Conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. I'm struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. I need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart, though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah, well, bounce your ass. Bounce your ass. Dang it. Crap. Shoot. Sheesh. Rip. Darn it. What the H? Holy crap. Son of a beasting. Dude, he's really teeing me off. I'm going to kick his A. Are you asking me right now? Not cool. I find that offensive. So I'm, I'm reading verse 6 in, in that video. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, just keeps coming up in my mind. And, um, but anyway, so let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to answer, how you ought to answer each question or each person. Sorry. So gracious speech is nothing more than speech that is pleasant, marked by sweetness and courtesy. It's not flowing. It's not perfect. It's not without slang. It's not the vernacular of the believer. And we have to consider what sounds sweet to us might not, might not sound sweet to a non-believer. Like, we can watch that video. Who here's heard any of those words, you know, when it comes to the church world? Like, we, we've heard these words. They're bandied about all the time. But when you start using words like these around people who don't go to church or people who aren't believers, how do they look at you? What the H are you talking about? You know, clearly you're... Never mind. So anyways, we use these all the time. And when we think about language that is gracious, oftentimes the words we use within this own building don't qualify because they're not understood or they're misunderstood or they're misconstrued or they're misinterpreted because we're talking a language that we now as adopted sons of God and daughters of God as natives in this land that we're talking a language that comes naturally to us but it's like going to France and speaking Spanish people are going to look at you like yeah I got nothing or they're pretty close so maybe it's going to France and speaking Hungarian I don't know either way it's not the language of the people who live there and so when we go out of our churches and out of our homes and we speak in these tongues onto, basically we'll call it hostile territory. We're not speaking the languages of the natives there. And there's nothing gracious about that because people can't understand what we're saying. Now looking specifically at the words in here, if we look at salt, and I love this for two reasons. Our, our speech is to be seasoned with salt. And there's two things with that. One, salt is the great preservative. And if you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard a sermon on this preached before about salt being the great preservative. And, and we're called um, to be, our language is called to be that great preservative. And it's the preserver and preserver of, a preservative of truth in speech. Our lives and our speech are called to be the preservers of truth. And, and I say that in kind of looking at that, you know, how many, how often, how many times a day, you know, you can use a number or just a lot, because um, I know the answer is a big number or a lot. Um, how often do you either on social media see or read or in conversation hear somebody twisting scripture? 
I see it a lot. I hear it a lot. And that has to do with two things. One, working with the age group of people I work with. I'm on social media a lot. So maybe I have more access to it than some other people. But also, I know Scripture well enough to, to recognize it being twisted. So there's the two reasons I have for seeing it a lot. I don't know where you stand with A, knowledge of Scripture, or B, access to social media, or even if you come out of your house to talk to anybody and hear it. I really don't know. But we are called as Christians with our speech to correct twisted Scripture. Now, that's going to look different whether we're speaking to a believer or a non-believer. If I'm having a conversation with a believer and they're taking something out of context, we can talk about it on a deeper level. Like one of my favorites that people screw up all the time is Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And people twist that one all the time. Like, yeah, it's my life verse. Yeah, God's, God's got a great plan for me. And we're going to do great things here. I'm like, yeah, when you're freaking dead. Because if you read the rest of the verses surrounding that, you'll find out that has nothing to do with your time here and now. Like, if you want to talk about your Babylonian experience, let's do that. But don't use Jeremiah 29.11 as some sort of just happy pick-me-up or cherry-picking this one verse. Now, as a believer, I can have a conversation with, with y'all that takes a harder edge. And really kind of get nitty-gritty. But with a non-believer, that conversation very simply is, you know, hey, that's, that's a great verse. And it's part of a much bigger and much greater story. Have you read the verses that surround that? Because there's some really cool stuff in there. And that verse, it really might not mean what you think it means. Would you, would you want to talk about that sometime? And you invite them to have a conversation. To go deeper. Same conversation with two very different angles. One is using their language. One is using a little bit harder language to church people. We're called to speak differently to fellow believers and non-believers. Now, salt is also, though, and this kind of stems from that thought, salt is also, according to classical Greek writers, salt is the wit with which conversation is flavored. Salt is what spices up the conversation. Now, and I love this because Real quick, just, just close your eyes and I'm going to ask you a question. And you don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to point to anybody. Don't nudge your spouse or your friends. But just close your eyes and, and, and I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about this, okay? Just close your eyes. If I see eyeballs looking back at me, you're not listening. Close your eyes. How many boring people do you know? And just think, like, just do a mental Rolodex. Like, right now, think of the faces. How many boring people do you know? All right, picture, picture the people in your mind, just as they shuffle through. Picture the people in your mind, like when they're walking to you, you just know that they're going to suck ten minutes out of your life telling you a story that has zero, zero points of emphasis, zero tones, zero tones of inflection, zero humor, and no enthusiasm. Think about those people. Okay, now as you're thinking about those people, I'm just going to offer this to you. Don't be that person. Okay, you can open your eyes. All right, those are people with no salt in their speech. Those are the people who just monotonously just drone on. Same conversation, same story, same attitude, same everything. It's almost inhuman. It's almost robotic. Don't be that. We're not called to be that. We're called to laugh. We're called to cry. We're called to shout. We're called to whisper. We're called to speak into the situations and the circumstances that we're in. To a non-believer, do you know 
what does more damage than almost anything else when they're having a hard time? Four words. I'll pray for you. I had a really hard conversation last night with my sister, who is not a believer. Um, And her and I have butted heads a lot over the past, I'll be 40 in July, so that'll be 40 years. Um, We've butted heads a lot. Um, And as a non-believer, we're having a hard conversation. That was a long time coming. She was up visiting from Tampa. She was using our house as a base of operations anyways to go do stuff. So we had a conversation. um, And she makes really bad choices. And she's made really bad choices for a long time. And there's always, God bless you, there's always collateral damage. There's always fallout from her choices. Um, for a long time, when we were living under the same roof, that collateral damage usually would fall directly on me. Um, but then as, as we've kind of moved apart, um, you know, it falls on other people and it hits other people. And, and she does a great job of, of telling half-truths to the people who she wants to hear certain things and putting her life on display, the good parts anyways, and the dirty stuff is just kind of here. And, um, and, and, and she's making horrible choices. And, and it's, it's with, with what I do as a pastor, what I do as, as a missionary, it's, it's, do you know how hard it is to not just come at her with a Bible verse? Oh, I know it speaks to that situation. Or, or to say to her, you know, I'll be praying for you. Because her instant response to that, and I know this really because I did it once like 10 years ago. Her instant response is, why the F would you pray to a God I don't believe in for my circumstance? F you. That was the response I got. Because what could be more callous from me than just saying, I'll pray for you. It does nothing for her. Instead that, we're called to speak into their circumstance, speak life into their circumstance, not using terms or thoughts that are wonderful and encouraged in here. You know, or, or another thing you could say that's terrible is, well, you know, everything's in God's control. Well, you bounced quick, too. I was having a conversation this morning about a similar topic with my friend. He was at church this morning and he, he called me afterwards. Um, it's funny, in that video, one of the churches they throw out as a name is 722, so he's going to his church 722 back in Jacksonville. Um, but uh, we're having this conversation, and the sermon today there was about the sovereignty of God. And now there are times when God allows certain things to happen in order to draw things out of you, to pull things out of you so that he might refine you and transform you. Can you imagine having that conversation with a non-believer who's going through a really hard time? They don't believe any of this. And you say, well, the sovereignty of God, you know, will show you that this and this, that's another quick F you. Get out of my face. But so often as Christians, that's our fallback. We have these canned answers that we pull off the shelf and throw in people's faces. And they don't hear a word of it. We're called to enter their world and speak their language as we speak into their circumstance. Not go into their world and invite them into our vernacular. It doesn't work that way. Because when we do that as Christians, we sound like these uncaring, unfeeling, unsympathetic, unempathetic, broken records who are just out of touch with no salt in our speech. We have to know how to respond to the people we're called to be in the community with. And that's the people in the world at large. If we only talk like we're among believers, we're doing Christianity wrong. 
And to, to a further point, if we're only actually ever around other believers, we're definitely doing Christianity wrong. So summing up five and six, be real, be true, and be in the world, but not of it. Um, and that leads us kind of, I'll close it up now, because um, there's probably more announcements later. Challenges for the week, and this is how you take it to the streets this week. Um, the first, you pray. Intentionally, you pray this week. You pray for your own barriers to be lifted. For the doors that are in your path to be opened so that you may share Jesus. You pray for others. You pray for the barriers in their life to be lifted, for the doors in their path to be opened so they may share Jesus. And when you're done praying, you do. Or you go. Whichever two-letter word you want to use. You do or you go. You get out of your skin and you get out of your head. You screw up your courage and you share Jesus. And you share Jesus in a way that others will hear, they'll understand, and they'll listen to. You speak in their tongue, on their turf, the truth of God. And the third challenge, which is the biggest challenge I've ever offered in any sermon at any time as a preacher love so simple but it's often the hardest thing to do just love people love whoever you meet right where they're at on their terms and if you truly love them this is going back to Pendulette's statement of of how much you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel with them if you truly love somebody you'll share Jesus with them. Because no matter how high our opinions are of ourselves and what we have to offer, the best thing we have to offer anybody is Jesus. So pray, do, and love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for the opportunity to share Jesus, Lord. I thank you for entering my life and my heart, Lord. I pray for you, uh, to you, just to give you thanks for opening the doors that have been in my path, Lord. Lord, I just continue to pray that you continually lift the barriers that are in front of me, Lord. I pray for each of the people in this room, Lord, that the barriers in their lives are lifted, Lord. The barriers that are set upon their path, Lord, are lifted, God. That the doors in front of them are opened up so that they may walk through and share the mystery that is you. Lord, that they may share all that you have done in their lives, some of what you have done in their lives, but just no matter what it is or how much it is, God, that they just share you. Lord, let the blessings you have poured into their lives, Lord, let those blessings pour out on everybody they come in contact with so there can be no denying that they're taking it to the streets. In Jesus' name, amen.